Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. Arizona's COVID-19 cases are reaching new record highs. This week, we dig into testing and contact tracing. Arizona has become one of the new national hotspots. Statewide, cases are in a steep upward climb. In the last week alone, the number of new confirmed cases rose by nearly 40 percent. In a Wednesday media briefing, Governor Doug Ducey acknowledged that the rise in cases outpaces the increased testing, a change in his stance from prior weeks. He promised even more testing and increased contact tracing, along with other measures, to help bring the state's rampant case count under control. There are two main kinds of testing. Diagnostic, often referred to by the shorthand PCR, which stands for polymerized chain reaction. It detects whether or not you have the virus at the time of the test. It looks for RNA of the coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 through collection via nasal swab or cheek swab. Dr. Karen Byrne is a professor at the University of California, San Francisco, Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics. She's part of the COVID-19 Testing Project, a group of researchers comparing different COVID-19 tests. So in general, the PCR tests that are being done for COVID-19, if they're being done in the laboratory that's experienced, in general, that is the case, will be very specific. You won't have a lot of false positives. Byrne says the sensitivity of the test, meaning accurately detecting enough presence of the virus in a sick person to register as a positive, is generally around 70%. But she says part of the accuracy of diagnostic testing depends on when you get tested. So what we know is that from the time someone is exposed to the time they become ill with symptoms, can be anywhere from say seven to 14 days. So if you were exposed yesterday and eventually you're going to develop illness, you're not going to be able to see that yet. One of the aspects of COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2, which is different from SARS-1 from 2002, is that people seem to have virus in their nasopharynx several days before they become sick. And that may be one of the reasons that there's been so much transmission. She says there's also evidence that people can test negative for COVID-19 even while they're still sick. We asked her if at-home coronavirus test kits work. The only way you can answer that question is it actually do studies. Byrne says while she's seen one study so far that showed nasal swabs and saliva had the same test sensitivity, there are still other factors at play, like how the sample is transported to the lab. In addition to the diagnostic test, there are many different antibody tests, which are designed to test whether you've had the virus. When someone is infected with any organism, but with this virus, uh, they make antibodies. Their immune cells respond to the virus by making a series of different kinds of antibodies. The two most common antibodies that we measure are IgM and IgG. Neither of those actually measures whether you're protected from the virus. Byrne says while diagnostic tests are fairly reliable, 
there are a lot more moving parts in the antibody tests. We think that the IgG response probably correlates with having antibodies that are what we call neutralizing antibodies that will prevent the virus from actually invading cells. It will neutralize the virus. But we're not measuring neutralizing antibodies when we do these antibody tests that you've been hearing about. And there are many different, many different varieties of antibody tests. What we saw over the course of March and April were dozens and dozens of different antibody tests being marketed with very little review by FDA under what is called an emergency response. And one of the issues that that brought up was a lot of variability in how well those worked. Byrne says antibody testing is more useful when looking to see what percentage of a population has been exposed to the virus, so long as a representative sample of the population is tested. In terms of what it tells an individual, I think right now we don't have enough data to feel confident in saying to somebody, you have a positive antibody test, you're not at risk for being infected again. We just don't know the answer to that. You won't know the answer until we follow a lot of people over time. You know, as you know, there are viruses, once you have an, an antibody response like measles, you won't get reinfected. But then there are others like flu, where you can get reinfected every few years. That was Dr. Karen Byrne, a researcher and professor at the University of California, San Francisco. The University of Arizona has created its own antibody test, which President Robert Robbins hopes will help the institution resume in-person classes, research, and other campus life starting in August. We talked with Deepta Bhattacharya, a UA associate professor of immunobiology, about the specifics of their test. So antibodies are a measure of an immune response that's been made against the virus. So it's, it's, a, it's a measure of prior exposure to see if you've been infected in the past. So there's a few things that it's useful for, unlike the other kinds of tests, which is looking directly for whether you're actively infected, antibody production and those levels stick around for a long time. So it's a much more forgiving measure to estimate how much spread there's been within the community. And so then what you can see then over time is how much does that percent change? What percent of the population is positive, say, now? And what percent is positive in a few months from now? And if it's tripling or quadrupling, that's actually not a good thing because it means that the virus is spreading without really much uh, control. We've heard from other researchers that these tests are only so useful right now. They can't be used as a reliable indicator that someone's immune to COVID or won't get it again. So do people need to get tested or is it, as you were saying, really just a good tracing at this point? So there's two uses for it. Uh, one is, as we just talked about, uh, more from an epidemiological standpoint, how much are the measures we have in place, social distancing, and if there's any statewide rules on locking down, how effective is that? So that's obvious. I, have a, uh, I disagree with the other researchers that say that these tests are not useful. So there's a couple of aspects to think about here. One is if you've truly been infected by, by the virus and have cleared it, are you immune? And I think at this point, the answer is an unequivocal yes. There's so much research out there right now, and there's an awful lot of prior research on acute viral infections, including coronaviruses, that you do have a period of immunity after you've cleared it, and it's unthinkable to me that you wouldn't. 
The second aspect is a more of an actual issue, which is how accurate are those antibody tests? And so that's a more fundamental problem. So if your antibody test is calling someone as positive when they're not, then you have to be really careful about how you use those tests and whether someone can assume immunity. So we knew these issues going in when we developed the test here. And so we did a couple of things to make sure that our test was fairly conservative in terms of who it actually called positive versus not. And because we're an academic research institution, we can do all sorts of other types of secondary and tertiary tests to make sure that the samples we call positive have what are called neutralizing antibodies. Those are antibodies that prevent the virus from getting into the cell. So um, what we've done now is we actually have two different tests, both of which have to be positive for someone to actually get a test result that's called positive. And for so far, for out of about 12,000 people that we've checked so far, everyone that we called positive has these neutralizing antibodies. So we're pretty confident that when we return a positive result, there's going to be some degree of immunity. You said you have tested about 12,000 people. What have the results been showing so far in the sense of percentage of community that has been exposed to the virus? It's low. Um, it's been between 1% and 1.2%. It's very low. One thing I will say, though, is that our study right now isn't um, randomly sampling the general population. It's mainly based on state mandates, is really looking at people who are healthcare workers, first-line responders, people who you would expect might be uh, at higher risk of being exposed to the virus. When do you plan to, to roll it out uh, community-wide? Is there a hope that you can get that to that point in time for the students to return to campus uh, sometime in, in mid to late August, or, or is that just a little too quick? No, we will absolutely be able to do that because that's our priority. Um, and as President Robbins has said, we really need to make sure that we're taking care of our own campus in this. So there's two different streams in which we can test. There's the state-funded uh, testing that is focused on healthcare workers, first-line responders, but at the same time, we're starting to ratchet up our own internal testing for uh, students and faculty and staff, and we're hoping to start that sometime in mid-July. Is there a need for someone to get tested more than, than once? There's, I wouldn't say that there's a need, um, but I, certainly for my research purposes, I think it's really important to know and to predict how long um, immunity is going to last for. And there's, a, there's been a lot of speculation about that, some reasonable, some a little less so. Based on other coronavirus infections, I mean, I would predict that it would last a few years, but we don't really know that for sure. And I think there, if we can convince and persuade some people to come back for our own research by medical purposes to, to be tested a few times over the course of a few years, that would be ideal because then it gives us a sense as to how long do these antibodies stick around? That was Deepta Bhattacharya, a UA associate professor of immunobiology. Tracing the path of the virus, called contact tracing, is also key. If 40,000 students return to the University of Arizona in August, they'll be asked to install an app on their phone that will help the university know who has COVID-19 and where that person has been. Casey Ernst, a professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at the University of Arizona, says the app will let phones talk to each other so people can be notified if they've come in contact with someone who tested positive for the disease, a form of virtual contact tracing. 
This mobile app would anonymously exchange codes with other cell phones through Bluetooth. The signal strength and duration are recorded. Then, when someone has a confirmed positive case of COVID-19, they and their provider receive codes that they can enter into the application. Then a notification is immediately sent to all the phones that they were in close proximity to each other. But using the app and adding information to it is voluntary, according to Joyce Schroeder, a molecular and cellular biology professor. She also says the information is anonymous. You have to add yourself. Nobody's going to make you add it. You have to um, activate it. Nobody's going to make you activate it. And if you get a positive test, you have to put that in. Nobody's going to do that to you. Okay. So the first thing that I wanted to make clear is each individual has total control over the use of this. The second thing that I need to make clear is that it has zero personal data. But digital privacy experts and bioethicists like Nick Evans from the University of Massachusetts Lowell aren't so sure. Even if you're being anonymously reported, it wouldn't be terribly difficult if I got a notification for me to figure out who the person that I was in contact with was, especially if someone else that I know also gets the notification at the same time, then all we have to do is figure out where we've been together in the last couple of days and Bob's your uncle, right? Um, you've, you've figured out exactly who, uh, who has COVID and who doesn't. The UA team, which is now testing the app before deciding whether or not it will be fully rolled out to students, says the data does not have a timestamp. So it will not say a user was in contact with someone on a specific day or time. Evans also says if there's an information breach, the system will quickly break down. Once you lose that trust, it's almost impossible to gain it back, at least on the timescale of the outbreak. For the system to be truly effective, the majority of people on campus must use it. The good news for the university is that most students are fast adopters of new technology. This week, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey promised to step up state efforts on contact tracing to help contain the spread of COVID-19. That includes assigning 300 National Guardsmen to the effort. Dr. Teresa Cullen became the new director of the Pima County Health Department on June 1st. She says Pima County has been doing contact tracing since the pandemic began, but is ramping up aggressive efforts now. Currently, Cullen says they're not contact tracing as many people as they'd like or in as timely a way as they would wish. So how does contact tracing work? Cullen began by giving us a primer. So what happens is someone gets tested and their test returns positive. Now they are a case. We ask them then, who are their contacts? If you are not sick and you are a case, we ask you for the two days prior to your test, who are the people that you had more than contact with for more than 15 minutes who were within six feet of you, as well as the people you live with, with the assumption that they meet that criteria. If you got the test because you were ill, we asked you to go back to when you got symptomatic, which say that's more than two days, say that's four days before, and go back two days from that because it's two days where you could be uh, pre-symptomatic and still transmit the virus and give us the contacts for that entire period. And then once you're a contact, the goal is for us to contact you to say, Hi, we're here. We want to make sure you know that you're a contact because you might not know, right? All of this is confidential and anonymous. We don't tell the person we're talking to as a contact 
who the case is. Now they might be able to surmise on their own. That our goal is to make sure you're you're healthy and you're fine. You know what the symptoms of COVID are. We ask you to quarantine for 14 days. It sounds like there is a certain level of trust that the person who tested positive has to have in the department in order to give them that information. Is that something that's tough in this community or maybe just certain segments or parts of our community? We haven't done like an analysis of what predicts whether somebody will participate with us or not when we call them. We do know that that some people never answer the phone or we they don't answer our emails, right? Somebody has to respond. We reach out and this is for the cases as well as the contacts. The case needs to answer the phone, share the information with us, then the contacts need to share the information. You can see how this is a cascading event. We have heard from some healthcare providers that there is a bit of a shortage in testing. And even when there are enough tests, the labs get backed up. It takes a couple of days to get that result. Does that make the tracing harder because it takes time to get the results? Yeah, I I do think right now most people can probably get a test um, if they need it. The delay in test results is real. The county itself is working with uh, multiple vendors to try to decrease that. Ideally, the time frame is 24 hours. We have personal experience with people in the health department that have waited longer than that you know, have waited up to 10 days to get a test result. We're seeing those times lessen. And it's important for people to know we don't get the test results. The test results go to the state. The department is recruiting new people to help with contact tracing. How's that going? And is that starting to make a difference? Um, actually, what we've done up till now is just reassign people to contact tracing. So we haven't hired directly for contact tracing. We do have um, what we call an RFP, a request for proposal contract um, out right now. It went out a week ago, Friday. Our hope is that we can use contact tracing as a way to build capacity in the community. So people that are accepted, by the so a contract or contracts will be awarded they will hire people we encu- we are encouraging people to hire local people throughout the county not just in Tucson itself those people will be trained and our hope is that by doing that we build a cadre of people in the community that know more about epidemiology and about covid and in a sense are um, the the trainers for helping other members of the community understand what's going on. With this steady increase that we've been seeing the last few weeks, do we need a policy change um, on what all of us out here are doing? The decisions about the policies are (laughs) above my pay grade. Um, But I would strongly encourage people to wear masks. I think the science is becoming irrefutable. So I look at face coverings, masks, and I say, not the community norm yet, but fairly inexpensive, perhaps a little inconvenient. However, the benefit to society, to your family, to the community is huge. And 
What I say to people is when I wear a mask, I protect you. And I'm hoping as a community that you will choose to help protect me and my loved ones. That was Teresa Cullen, director of the Pima County Health Department. COVID-19 cases continue to rise quickly in several states, including Arizona. Like many public health experts, Dr. Susan Bailey, the president of the American Medical Association, has been watching those trends. I am very concerned about the, the rise in cases that we're seeing um, in Arizona as well as in other states. Um, I'm an allergist, immunologist in private practice in Fort Worth, Texas, and we're seeing an increase in the number of our cases as well. And my concern is we knew that as things opened up, we would start to see more cases, um, but we were hoping to flatten the curve so that we wouldn't overwhelm our health systems uh, when those increased cases did occur. Unfortunately, there's opening up going on around the country, um, even when cases are not going down. If people are aggressive about practicing simple common sense measures like wearing masks, washing your hands, staying home when you can, staying six feet apart if you can't, um, that will definitely continue to flatten the curve. But um, if not, we're going to see more cases, there's going to be more suffering, and there's going to be more death. What do states need to do, like Arizona, like Texas, where you are? Do we need to reinstate those stay-at-home orders, stop non-essential surgeries? You mentioned wearing masks. Uh, gosh, no one wants to... Um, close back down again once we've reopened. The, the trick to reopening is doing it safely. Um, I think that wearing masks, staying home when you can, are a critical part of opening up safely. Um, that's the only way we're going to be able to do it. At the beginning of this pandemic, we heard a lot about shortages of personal protective equipment for nurses and doctors. Where do we stand now on that? There are still shortages of PPE uh, around the country, especially for um, doctors in private practice. Uh, many of the large hospital systems um, had you know, contracts with suppliers and uh, have been able to keep up, but not always. Those shortages are still there. Um, it's critical that doctors and other healthcare personnel uh, be able to protect themselves to stay safe because they're at very high risk of catching the virus, as well as guaranteeing that their patients can stay safe when they take care of them. You bring up doctors in private practice. We've heard a lot recently about people not going for their regular checkups and things like that, um, the normal visits to doctor's offices, or maybe they are being treated for something chronic uh, and they're skipping appointments. How do people need to handle this in a time where we're seeing an increase in cases and just a pandemic in general? Chronic conditions need to be continued to be taken care of. Diabetics need to have their blood sugars checked. Uh, patients with high blood pressure need to make sure that stays under control. Children need their immunizations. Surviving a coronavirus pandemic may not do us much good if we end up with a measles epidemic because children haven't been able to get their vaccines. Um, we encourage patients to continue with your medical, med regular medical care. Contact your doctor's office. Um, many of them are open. They're anxious to see you, and they are taking every precaution to keep you safe. The AMA wants 
patients to understand that it's important to continue to take care of their health um, and that it's okay to go back to the doctor. Not every COVID-19 test on the market has been approved by the Food and Drug Administration. Is that normal for new technology that these things take time? Uh, new technology takes time. And the um, the new COVID antibody tests that are uh, we're hearing about now uh, have a great deal of promise, but, you know, as we used to say, they're not quite ready for prime time. Um, the AMA was one of the first to caution um, in mid-May that the results of COVID-19 antibody tests need to be taken very, very carefully. Just because you have COVID-19 antibodies in your system doesn't mean that you're bulletproof. Um, it just means that you've been exposed and that your immune system has reacted to it. So right now, the only real use for COVID-19 antibody tests is in someone that we know that's had COVID-19 that might be a candidate to donate their plasma. Uh, to help other people with the disease, or if it's part of an overall evaluation, they should never be taken alone to see whether or not you've had COVID-19 or you haven't. That was Dr. Susan Bailey, president of the American Medical Association. Starting this week, the American Red Cross will test all blood, platelet, and plasma donations for COVID-19 antibodies. The buzz's Vanessa Ontiveros has more. The COVID-19 testing policy will be in place for at least the next four months. That's according to Courtney Slaniker, Executive Director of the Southern Arizona Chapter of the American Red Cross. She says the results of the antibody test will be available approximately a week after the donation. The Red Cross will notify donors of their results privately. You know, it's up to them what they do with those results. We certainly aren't going to make recommendations of what they do. We, we hope they can talk with their primary care and knowing their status, you know, can make informed decisions from there. Since the beginning of the pandemic, the Southern Arizona chapter of the Red Cross has seen a sharp decline in blood donations. However, Slanaker says donations remain urgently needed since blood is a perishable product and cannot be gathered without human donors. Accidents and cancer don't take breaks for pandemics, for wildfires, and it's really important that we maintain a stable blood supply so that no patient has to wait on a, a potential life-saving blood product. The Red Cross has pandemic-related sanitation practices in place at donation sites, like frequent disinfection of surfaces, temperature checks for all staff and donors, social distancing, and a mask requirement. Find a link to more information about blood donation sites on our website. That was Vanessa Ontiveros, and that's the buzz for this week. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Duncan Moon is the interim news director, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.